Well, hello and welcome to episode 153 of the 1099 for the week of June 18th, 2018. I'm your host, Josiah Renauden, and this is the E3 2018 wrap-up show. Uh, normally with this podcast, I think the last two years, there was sort of a preview show of here's what we expect, here's our most anticipated flipping that around now we're just doing a post-game show we're gonna be discussing the biggest storylines from the show the games we think showed the best what it's like covering the show at home versus on location and maybe even a little bit of based on what we saw this year what do we think e3 2019 will look like with me today like so many times before is freelancer for ign daily dot polygon waypoint and a slew of other major websites joe noop joe i are you tired from all of the news writing? Are you finally okay after the weekend? We're recording on a Sunday, the day before this is live. Do you still feel E3 oh fever? My God, it's Sunday. I yeah, know. no. So I we have a weekend. Holy God, we have a weekend. Yeah. Uh, I I messaged my girlfriend on like Friday evening, being like, "Do I have Do I have nothing to do on Saturday and Sunday? Like, <laughs> none of my editors are going to be in house. Like, so okay, screw that." I'm going to go see a friggin' movie. <laughs> Good for you, dude. Like, there was definitely that moment. So I was supposed to be in Vegas this weekend, hmm. uh, which, in retrospect, I can't even believe I semi-agreed to, because by the end of this E3, I was done. But uh, my boss is in... He's watching a Nine Inch Nails concert. Um, and we had, like, backstage passes, because uh, he knows some people in there. And I initially said yes last week, and then had this realization of, oh, I'm going to E3. Like, by the time it's... Friday and then I'll be done with all of E3 stuff. I'll have to start packing Friday night and leave in the morning and there's no way that's happening. And E3 flu, nerd flu hit me so aggressively hard uh, on, it was Thursday that I had to like leave work early because I thought I was going to die. Like I was just full blown. I it was all those something. appointments in the pool. Uh, this It must have been. There was so, it, I was just so out of it by the end of it. I have not been that sick in so long where you know the sick where you're shivering but you're also just sweating nonstop. Mm-hmm. that's the hot cold yeah the, the, the hot cold the, the the that's kind of what happened to me and then i think i slept for 12 hours and had to wake up four times during that 12 hours just to like did, rehydrate because i was sweating so much did bella have to like did, did, was she ever worried be like am i gonna get fed today no, so definitely probably thought about that, but she's more of the, like, she's the, when you're sweating, I'm just going to lick you like a gross dog. So, like, mm-hmm. I would just wake up at, like, 2 a.m. and she's, like, hovering over me waiting for, like, can I have permission to lick your face? Um, it was, Thursday was a lot, but I am just about better. I'm mostly hydrated. I'm still tired, but ready for actually <laughs> getting back to work tomorrow. Uh, we're going to start this podcast with... Some of the biggest storylines, at least what we see as the biggest storylines from the show, because there were a lot of themes and I think no theme was actually stronger than this blowback to loot boxes. It's it's incredible that now this thing that gets claps at all of these major events is some dude coming out and being like, we're not going to sell you loot boxes. We're not going to charge you extra for random bullshit. And then everyone just going right into applause, which is like I think at this point, if you went on stage in some of these different press conferences and you're like actually we're increasing the price of the PlayStation 4 by $100 there's still a section of the audience that's clapping like it's really incredible except for Call of Duty Call of Duty is still holding in there being like yep we've got separate map packs you'll have to pay for them separately uh good luck <laughs> yeah i mean they're still out there but it is really i've talked about this before on this podcast and of course people have talked about it in the past that Battlefront 2 kind of felt like this inflection point of 
this this is finally not okay. Like people were testing and they kept yeah. going. Literal, going. literal governments got involved. Yeah, that might have Several. been a big deal about it. But I also think just the reaction. Jail the, the, time was a threat. <laughs> the vitriol from the community as soon as that game came out and that structure came out, it just felt like companies were seeing, all right, what can we do? What can we get away with without people getting people are going to get angry, but not I'm not going to buy this angry. And, you know, in a way, it almost does seem like payment and the way things are paid for or the way people are compensated uh, or or uh, given compensation might be one of the bigger yeah themes of the C3, especially with uh, Ubisoft's partnership with Joseph Gordon-Levitt and all that. But we'll get to that. Yeah. And that's something that I feel like you are better equipped to talk about because I uh, there's a lot of just random news things that I didn't catch or random trailers or explanations for a lot of this stuff. Because when you're on the show floor, you're not really checking Twitter. You're not seeing like, hey, what's the follow up to this? Because there's this one part of me to actually get to the the Beyond Good and Evil 2, which actually was one of my favorite trailers. Like that trailer was really something else. But pretty nice, especially since last year, I, I did not connect with me. It very much felt like, why is this? hyper potty mouth version of beyond good and evil evil on stage i'm not saying the first game was like the ultimate child's game but it just felt really out of place when every other word was fuck it, um, you remember jack 2 when suddenly jack <laughs> talks is like the first words out of his mouth i'm gonna kill um, baron praxis and you're and like i'm pissed oh, like i'm that, angry well that was the only actual parallel i could draw between a game that so hard shifted in tone and of course the the time between the first and the second game makes it like it barely feels like a shift to some people because they don't even remember that game from before, yeah. but the exact same thing. So I really we don't the, like that monkey. That monkey is dumb. <laughs> yeah, it's not a good character. Again, we've only seen a little bit. But the Joseph Gordon-Levitt thing, you know, on stage when he's talking, you understand the concept behind what he's saying of it's cool for the fans to be well, should able we, to... Well, should we explain what that is? Sure. Well, the, the, just in terms of explaining it from my side at the start, he's talking... I mean, probably best for you to describe, since you wrote all about it, what the actual offering is. So, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, uh, the actor uh, of, of Third Rock from the Sun fame, uh, as he might put it, <laughs> uh, he, he has a company called Hit Record. It's been around for over a decade, and it's like slowly expanded over that time. And their whole business model is uh, they'll announce a project saying like, oh, we're for example, we're working on Beyond Good and Evil 2. Uh, and the, the partnership with Ubisoft was for in-game music and art assets. And rather than like Hit Record is not a, a art design studio uh, like Ubisoft or something like that where they might have like a, a bay of cubicles with artists. Uh, it's, it's a internet community of, I've seen numbers like 80,000, I've seen 250,000, although I couldn't verify that last one. And, uh, it's, it's a mix of people, artists, designers, musicians, voiceover people, whatever. And they, they announce a project. They say, Hey, if your work is, uh, you know, submit your ideas for this. And if we use your thing in the final product, uh, we will 50% of all profits goes to hit record. And then 50% of the rest, the rest uh, or the other 50% is dispersed among the collaborators who worked on that project. And I ran through some, they make all the payments uh, public and they give all the collaborators two weeks or so to uh, publicly comment on them and make a case for getting paid more. Uh, although they reserve uh, right to the final uh, say and everything, of course, and 
sometimes I want to say the vast majority of payments I saw in what documents I could find were like in the realm of five to maybe 50 bucks. Uh, and you're talking oh. about like a few, you're, you're, you're talking about like hundreds of people on like, uh, uh, they have a small TV uh, uh, show. And so like hundreds of people contributed to that. And, uh, but you also have like lots of contributors making like, I saw 94 cents. Um, I saw, I did see a very, very small handful of like $300 and up. Uh, I saw like one person who made over a thousand bucks. Um, and I spoke with at least one person, uh, who said like, yeah, her, my biggest paycheck, uh, when I, she worked for them for about five years, biggest paycheck I ever got was a thousand bucks. Smallest one I ever got was 50 cents. And so in the in the aftermath of Joseph Gordon-Levitt announcing this partnership on Ubisoft stage, he, to his credit, he very quickly clarified, yes, we pay the people who uh, work who, whose work we use on these things. And he's he takes a level of pride in that. Great. Uh, but it's still by most professional definitions, it's still spec work or speculative work, uh, which is we like a company expecting you to submit uh, a piece of work before agreeing to pay you or before or before agreeing to pay you a certain amount uh i guess with hit record if your work is picked yeah of course they are they are using you or paying you but you don't really have ultimately that much say in how much uh especially if you're you know in a pile of hundreds of other collaborators and uh it's tough because I think Gordon Levitt's intentions are in a good place. Uh, he's definitely not doing the four exposure bullshit uh, that so many other cheap uh, businesses might try on young and up and coming uh, artists. Uh, but it's still kind of diminishing artistic work because you're you're minimizing the risk that a company takes in hiring someone paying them benefits or you know just giving them x number of hours a week or even contracting a freelancer and saying like yeah well here's what we want to pay you is this cool sign here and well you say it's not exactly exposure work but isn't it kind of close like isn't it kind of it's very it's 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 damn close how many uh, times when you were talking to smaller sites while you were coming up did you get the we might pay you if this does well, or if we start really doing well, we start hitting it off, we start getting um, more page views, then you might get paid in the future. And this is not the exact same thing, but goddamn if it's not close. And I understand yeah. this general idea of we know there's this passionate community for all different franchises, and especially beyond good and evil, maybe it's kind of a cult following, but over time, it's expanded to something significant and giving those people the opportunity to maybe see their name in the credits to be able to contribute something substantial to the game is awesome. But I think the real way that you give people who are fans of games a, some sort of representation in the project is to hire them, is to to find the people who are good at their job, which you hope these people are, and then you hire them to help make the video game. And I, they understand yeah. they're saying like, hey people aren't losing jobs over this or we're not not hiring people because of this we want to do that but if if some of those those financial figures you're mentioning are correct then that is a silly small amount it's it, it is it is, is nice that uh, that yeah I, I, I like I too like the idea that community members can put their 
touch on a game. If I if I could design something for Overwatch, oh, in a heartbeat. But I would want some level of recognition or compensation for that because work is work, and to suggest that a multi probably billion dollar company i'd have to look at numbers but i can only assume that they are a multi-billion dollar company to think that a company like that will be able to further minimize their risk uh by basically letting people do it for free uh or close to you you think like uh, the uh hit record has a fifty thousand dollar uh pool for the payments that will eventually be doled out for whoever whoever's work ends up in the game uh and it's 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 important to clarify like the work that they want is like in-game music and and like art assets like graffiti or posters or something you might see around fifty thousand dollars to ubisoft is chump change i'm sure there is no earnest way around the fact that this diminishes the value of hard artistic work and really pushes the needle towards other companies uh, exploiting community members or exploiting actual artists who are trying to make a buck and saying like, yeah, I'd be glad to work on your video game. That will be X number of dollars as is my usual rate. Oh, do you wanted that level of payment? Oh, is, aren't, isn't it this just for fun? You know, isn't it fun that you get to do this? Yeah, it's fun. Uh, food is also fun. Yeah, food's pretty cool. Food's pretty fun. But I mean, let's use some semi-made up, but also partially educated numbers here. If you're talking about a concept artist, uh, either you know starting off probably a little bit like higher, you know, been doing this for a while type of concept artist on a major project. Let's say that person's making a hundred thousand dollars. Let's say they're making forty dollars an hour, fifty dollars, something like that. Let's use let's use the fifty dollars an hour. Let's be a little bit high end here. And they're working on concept art that ends up being a poster, which is easily an entire day's work if you really want to, from scratch, create this poster, this detailed poster is going to be in the game. So you already look at the, the like the 8 times 50 type of equation, and then you compare that to some of these numbers you're pulling for what this company is doing, it does not equal out. Like it's it, These people are, especially since they might not get, actually get paid. All of that work might not be used in the end. It's a very bizarre thing that you just hope that people are able to show their skills online and be knowledgeable about games and and love those franchises. And then eventually those people get hired. They don't have to go through this gauntlet of maybe I get paid. Maybe you're actually going to use this, but I don't get any of the actual benefits. And suddenly that's what happens. It's. And Gordon, Gordon, like, Le- Gordon Levitt says that, like, you know, he doesn't think hit record, he doesn't consider hit record a, a uh, path by which professional artists make their their living. And, like, that's cool that you're, like, stating that, but that doesn't stop, again, that does not stop the diminishing of artistic value. Well, here's and, the problem right there, though. Sorry to interrupt you. Like, no, it's okay. In order to actually create work that is worthwhile and someone's going to notice at let's say ubisoft you would almost have to treat that like something where you're making a living off of it you can't just have like oh i'm gonna do 30 minutes or an hour every night after work in between you know taking my dog out or or feeding the kids or something like that like you have to devote a large chunk of your time to do something like that and to not know if you're actually going to be compensated is weird like and i don't i think I don't know Joseph Gordon-Levitt personally, I got to say. He seems like a really genuine, nice dude. He seems like a guy whose heart is in the right place here. But there's just this general sense here of like, 
it, it was pretty gross. I had moments where I thought it was cool, but then started to read more because when I, I saw it was paid, I'm like, oh, that's awesome if that's actually what they're doing and then learning more about it. it, it I still Think feel the, weird the, about one it. Of the, one of the better comparisons I found uh, amongst all this was imagine Joseph Gordon-Levitt is hired for a film, uh, a, a small supporting character role. Uh, but they decide to cut all of the footage with him in it because for time or for artistic differences or whatever. Not a single second of him in a film. He still gets paid for yep. his time. Yeah. No, no doubt about that. And you have to wonder how he might feel. Like, don't tell me that film isn't also a collaborative process, you know, yeah. uh, uh, wor working with a team from day one, you know, doing script reads, uh, chatting with directors about the, the angle you want to take things at, uh, everyone bouncing off of everyone. Don't tell me that's any less collaborative than calling out a community of creators to help on Beyond Good and Evil music. I wrote an entire feature for GameSpot once that didn't get published for various reasons. I got paid for it. Yeah, like, me, I've you, done that too, yeah. You should get paid for the stuff even that doesn't get published. Um, it, I don't want to be down the entire time because I think Ubisoft in general has done the most in terms of making their press conferences human. Uh, mm -hmm. What I really liked about their show was it wasn't really this host sending everything. like, And now oh, this person taking it over and now this person. It was just we're going to show these really cool games. Um, whether you think they're cool or not is really up to you. And then we're going to take someone from the development team even if they're not the most polished speaker, they're going to be up here and talk about their game in a genuine way. They had game after game after game like that. And Ubisoft really stood out. Bethesda, even though the kind of rocky start stood out, Microsoft stood out just in terms of, hey, these big press conferences are still really effective. They're still It's still cool to have these big announcements. I mean, the, the cyberpunk tease, I mean, the full, mm. full you know, trailer at the end of Microsoft was a really cool one more thing moment but i think another storyline we might be seeing is not the death of major expensive press conferences but i think you're going to keep seeing them change over time because e3 has changed over time the way mm. this who this conference is for is it, it keeps swapping to like is it retail is it developers is it the public we don't really know do these i think it's gonna still take a few years for them to really land how to accommodate the public well because didn't do it this account, year yeah uh, last year was a giant trash fire and a security nightmare um thank god that no one got hurt but this year from all accounts uh and from everything i saw it seemed like it was still a case of yeah okay it's easier to get around you don't have to wait three hours in line for something uh but it's still a lot of stuff that you'll either be playing in two months or I, I heard so many accounts of people like walking around being like, yeah, there's just all these people like standing around or sitting around on their phones and be like, oh, shit, that doesn't, that's yeah, that not was, packs, that was, let me tell you. That was me for a long stretch at some point because it was like, I'm not waiting in line. Also, my feet feel like they're going to fall off slash explode. So there's a lot of like, please just give me a seat. Um, I, I think speaking of this press conference thing, Sony was maybe the... Nintendo started to do the direct, and I think that was maybe the first sign of like, oh, maybe you don't need a regular press conference to be effective. But that Sony one was weird. Like, that Sony one was very, like, I thought the show was over, like, after The Last of Us demo. I'm just like, oh, oh, shit. I was, uh, we were talking They're about going this off-air. show chat room. I was watching that on, at the fig pool with some different developers and my boss, and we were all out there and watching it on my phone. 
And for the, that entire like weird sort of round table and then The Last of Us, I was looking back and forth, this person saying next to me, like, wait, has it started or was that the pre-show? Or was that it? Like, right. none of us had any idea what was going on. And then it got into, like, Ghost of Tsushima, 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 uh, and a whole bunch of other games. But it was just, it felt like, not that they hadn't practiced it, but maybe they just hadn't really thought through how that would actually show to Try a massive group of people. Try hurting a thousand people from one room to another efficiently, I dare you. <laughs> it was such a strange way to handle things. And I think Sony and Nintendo especially there's it, it seems like more and more they aren't coming here with like here's all of our major announcements at e3 it's more of like here's a lot of the stuff you know about we're going to show you a lot more of it more extended a lot gameplay of it was leaks to be fair um so much leaked prior to this show uh, it almost felt like uh, more than usual yeah uh but i, I want to say microsoft had probably the most typical press conference although i think it was ultimately the strongest one just off of the back of uh, everything they announced, the studio acquisitions, which is huge for them, especially because they've been struggling with first party. And Sony's was perfectly fine. Uh, I like deep dive demonstrations of games. You know, I uh, I think that was our first major uh, example of gameplay from The Last of Us Two, which is nice to see how it how it has evolved. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Do you think? Do you do you really think this will be enough to move any sort of needle for Microsoft? Because I agree with you that the actual studio acquisition, like the Ninja Theory stuff, is rad. Like that's really cool that they have mm. them, and a lot they've acquired a lot of cool. Especially because that studio deserves everything. Good. They do, and they're picking up these almost triple I studios that mm. can do triple bigger stuff I. with that Microsoft backing. Yeah, that's a big term that was thrown around a lot, and it. I think. You know, not objectively, but like I think Microsoft was the most impressive in terms of what they showed and how they kind of handled the pacing of that. But I keep going back to the fact that there are still twice as many PS4s, actually more than twice as many PS4s out there. And the Switch is already catching up immediately with the Xbox One. It still feels like they have the power advantage right now. And it's interesting that they were the first ones to kind of be like, hey, we're fucking working on the next thing, guys. Like, they like, hold on, hold on your seats. We're doing it. But do you think them acquiring these studios, them having the best, you know, presser in a lot of people's eyes, do you think that's actually going to matter in terms of catching up with everyone? It all comes down to the games. That's That's been the golden rule for years and years. And if Xbox begins to turn it around on the, the narrative about their uh, lack of successful first party titles especially after like state of decay and sea of thieves uh have been struggling to to get out the door without much issue uh i don't know i don't know more having more games to throw out there and to use as weapons and you know a giant financial war between major companies is always a good thing like i mean i i want to know what the next team ninja thing is Although Microsoft also has the weird caveat where like probably a lot of these games are going to be day and date uh, Xbox and PC. Yeah. And if you're if you're a person who cares about, uh, you know, incredible graphics uh, or just, you know, in very demanding gameplay uh, settings. Building a PC is not that difficult these days uh, or buying one pre-made and it will probably last you a bit longer than a console. So I don't know. The, the ease of access with consoles seems to be diminishing, but 
it's because it's of the exclusivity of games like PlayStation's catalog or certain things. So I don't know. It's it's such a weird conundrum because Microsoft is this PC Goliath and still a contender in console. Um, Speaking of consoles diminishing, um, of all the conversations I've had with developers and a lot of different people over the show there's two main things i've heard in terms of the future of consoles it's either um the there will be no consoles in two to three years or there will be no consoles in 10 years but there was no one i talked to who was like consoles are here to stay everyone thinks that there is going to be a widespread streaming solution what the hell that means and what the hell that looks like i don't know yet but mm-hmm. you know we talk about like oh it's, it's if it's going to be on xbox and pc then why do you need an xbox i think there's just going to be some sort of future you know microsoft solution that's just here's all of our stuff on this streaming device netflix for games is what everyone keeps saying of course but you don't need this giant pc we're going to find a way to have this run on something much less demanding and that's what i keep Why hearing not? One of the things that I remember hearing from, I, th- I think it was it was in an interview with uh, the guy who pitched the Xbox, um, Blackley, Seamus Blackley. That sounds right. Was, yeah. And he, one of the biggest things that they had to think about when creating the Xbox originally, the first one, is... When we used to develop games for the PC, you had to prioritize like, okay, what can a lowest settings computer run? Because we can't guarantee that our entire customer base has the best high end stuff. And that's a very fair point. So what kind of machine becomes the thing that you stream from? Is it a big bulky box PC? Is it a small box like a like a ps4 slim or something and how do you contend with the fact that like people like our good friend sean uh mm-hmm. who he moved in with uh his family and their internet is nothing compared to what he used to operate on when he was living in colorado and that dramatically like think about it, if you're if you're paying like you know 60 bucks a year for like PlayStation Plus or something like that and probably more if you're uh doing a big every game is streaming now service and suddenly something happens where like just the internet does not seem to work well for it i i that might be more of a infrastructure problem with internet companies like Comcast running a monopoly to this day but I think that's something that's going to really stymie process. It, it's it's so fascinating to me. And I, I think it's maybe the funniest, not the funniest, like the most bizarre part about all of this is I think Microsoft with the Xbox One's original vision was really close to what we're going to be within another few years. I think so many people who are in the weeds and like that far into technology, they always think things are going to flip in two to three years, which that actually means it's going to be eight to ten years. Um, and I think they were just early on it. But I think, again, like people have talked bad about the Xbox One and how Microsoft's handled this for a while. But in terms of what they showed, in terms of that sort of indie torch being passed from Sony to Microsoft, Microsoft showing more initiative and in bringing incredible indies 
to that console that sh- that real the the idea at xbox real where there's all those games there were so many moments where you're like no no no, wait hold on i want to see more of that like go back to that that was awesome mm-hmm. and yeah. there's like so many moments like that so you know in the perfect world every console manufacturer does well so that there's a lot of competition everyone makes everyone else better and i just want microsoft to to really reap the benefits of this investment they're making in their first party games, in these studios they're acquiring, in that indie stuff. And, you know, I guess we'll deal with what the hell future of consoles is when that happens. But as of right now, like out of this show, if we're talking about who I think was the most impressive in a lot of ways, it's Microsoft. That And one other major factor we've seen with a lot of this show is early 2019 is going to be incredible in terms of game releases just like everyone saying assuming those aren't delayed either but they most, might all be most delayed of those are pretty close regardless so yeah because everything was like february here comes everything february you've ever 22nd wanted to play. <laughs> it's crazy and if you see the you know the the, the scuttlebutt of what people are saying about all this shit it's a lot of this is because red dead redemption 2 is coming out at the end of this year and i that those games rockstar games if you look at grand theft grand theft auto 5 has now reached sales plat like sales figures that i don't think anyone could have ever anticipated almost any game could hit it's like what 80 million or some insanity it's it's insane and like maybe red dead redemption 2 isn't going to have that degree of influence but people just seem to be getting the hell out of the way do you think that's the main reason everything is coming out early next year or do you think it's just you know just what's happening it still stuns me that grand theft auto 5 is like still a steam top 10 seller every month every single month for a lot of its dlc content a lot of its you know their their uh, adding on the gta online stuff because god knows they they haven't really updated anything from the single player game as far as i'm aware but the fact that that game came out in 2015 i think yeah i might have even been earlier dude that might have been earlier no you know it it was actually much earlier because it initially came out just on xbox 360 and ps3 ps3 yes ps3 and then the hd remaster and pc edition and I, I don't know if that translates to Red Dead because of, like, the different logical constrictions. Of, like, you know, you, you can't have a chain – well, you could have a chain gun, but not quite a chain gun on a mounted <laughs> uh, recreational vehicle uh, or, or a gigantic airplane. But their plan has to include some sort of online uh, capacity. So they cl- they have to have some interest in repeating GTA online success, even if, even if just by – a quarter or a half i'm sure it will recoup the cost and you might get a few like indie things getting released but just to play the other side of it like how you know films yeah avengers infinity war will come out but like melissa mccarthy will release something too for the moms who could not give a tale about uh iron man but yeah red dead redemption 2 is going to slaughter uh it's going to eat up a lot of christmas budgets and it might even help move some consoles depending on like whatever the b- best deal is. It would be malpractice if they didn't include a robust online function for Red Dead Redemption 2 because that's the reason Grand Theft Auto 5 is still as massive as it is. 2013, I just looked at it. 2013 is when Grand Theft Auto 5 yeah. came out and it's still this juggernaut. And people, including myself, very often point to Rainbow Six Siege as this incredible example of 
continuing support on something and watching it build steam over time because very very often if a game doesn't hit it off early on it's never going to hit it off and that was always the thought and things have wildly changed in that way and maybe the better example everyone should be pointing to is grand theft auto because yes it killed it at the start and it did grand theft auto numbers but what it's done over time because of this this online functionality where people have just it's an entirely new community they've built of players it's it's something else. It's 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 really crazy how big that game is. But I mean, being on the show floor, the real game that maybe even we don't quite understand <laughs> how big, big it is. Um, Fortnite isn't just the biggest game in the world right now. It's in this different category of thing. It is in this. Uh, I. How many people attended that that pro am tournament they held? I don't even know. It was, it, was a, it was a stadium they filled. It was a stadium. I was walking by. We were going to a different party, and I you could just hear how crazy it was. From what I was hearing on the show floor, they, of course, spent the most they've ever spent at E3, and they recouped it. Um, and a lot of that is shirts. A lot of that is the swag they had at the, the store for just different... Here's my Fortnite. There's a, I, I don't even know, a, a gun on a shirt. I don't really know what represents slurp juice. There's slurp <laughs> juice or something like that. It's, I uh, I ran into um, someone who's been at Epic for a long time. Uh, he does a lot of the networking stuff, so he's more important than ever. And he's just talking about the insanity of what's been happening and how crazy things have gotten since he's been there, you know, way back when and what that game has become. Fortnite is, a lot of people we're pegging it as this could just be a fad and then the next battle royale game comes in and takes it but i really don't think so and i've said this in this podcast maybe too many times but i think it's just an important perspective when i first said this could be the next minecraft it was kind of understandably a silly statement just because of what minecraft has meant culturally and what it's become i think this is a it's a different thing entirely it is on this level where professional athletes moms dads grandmas everyone knows what this thing is and are addicted to it and it's it's become a part of culture i think uh, the the minecraft comparison is an interesting one to make because as someone who previously sold minecraft merchandise to largely children i that that franchise banked a lot on children in a way that Fortnite has but maybe not as exclusively that game existed because it was something that i think parents could really were comfortable letting their kids get involved with its legos for its legos video games you know uh but Fortnite is this yeah is a different beast because it does like drake and the streamer ninja you know, that's that's not something that that's not someone a eight year old watches, at least a lot of them, I imagine. But because it does have an inter age appeal. Yeah, it could be for anyone. Like yeah. he's, he's done a great job of that. If he's not constantly cursing, he's actually explicitly not trying to curse as much. And is he's so good at it that even if you're someone like me who has played a lot of Fortnite but is not massively interested in the mechanics of it or really like I'm not trying to learn how to build better, uh, I'll be just randomly, you know, 2 p.m. or 1 p.m. He'll be playing Fortnite for a long stretch and I'm fascinated by it and he's getting 300,000 people watching him just randomly mm-hmm. during the day. 
And, you know, this game is free and available to everyone. They could be playing too, but they just love watching people play it as much as they love playing it. It it dominated that show floor. Like, that booth do was you think, Do you think crazy. PUBG would have made, uh, would have had as much success if it was free to play? Uh, as much success as Fortnite? Probably still not, but I think it might have had a better fighting chance. I think? think there was a chance. I do think aesthetically Fortnite is the perfect aesthetic for grabbing everyone mm-hmm. uh and there was this there's this realistic nature to the shooting and you know realistic is maybe a strong way to put it but more well, I'm, ju- I'm just talking price point like the price barrier of buying PUBG for 30 bucks and then you know they they clearly they have to make more money off of the microtransactions but yeah even their their microtransaction system as far as i'm aware is still a little weird like the keys and the crates and such i hate that system i would be fascinated to know what PUBG would have been what that player base would have been if it was free um because it was a massive player base even at thirty dollars which is yeah of course it's not come 60 in, come in the but that's a higher number than the normal like the normal indie price you think is like 15 or 20 30 is higher than a lot of people would expect for maybe a game like that especially at the start where people were like what the, what the hell is this thing mm-hmm. uh i there's so many things that just fascinate me fascinate me about PUBG versus fortnite and the fact that Fortnite was just so smart in terms of one, they already had this game with an aesthetic that people were going to be super into, and two, just being the first console game to grab that because that's what people are looking for. Everyone who doesn't play PC games was hearing about this battle royale thing, but never actually got to experience it. And I mean, for us, you know, we have friends, a normal group that we play with who. A lot of us are, some of us have PCs, uh, one or two of us doesn't. So it's just like, hey, it's easier to play on consoles. So it was just so smart. And it's it's so, Fortnite, again, it dominated that show floor. It was the biggest thing. And it, it's just a constant reminder of this is beyond whatever you think. If you're outside of the Fortnite bubble and you suddenly are inside of it all at once, you're like, oh my God, this game is like nothing I've seen in a long time. Uh let's those are the biggest storylines i mean there's other ones but those are the ones that really stood out for for us for e3 let's get into a little bit about what games stood out for us and i'm going to be totally honest neither of us played any of the games at e3 one because you were at home two because i didn't wait a single line i was like fucking i'm gonna go around and talk to people i was in meetings a lot i was doing a lot of businessy things um, it, it's it's funny when you have like a, a vested business or career interest during E3 as opposed to a fan interest, right? Because you're yeah. like, yeah, I I will play these things probably early if I yeah if, I if, didn't if, care if to... I get to do things for review or you know just through connections. That was 100 percent what it was. Where it was like I'm gonna play these games I eventually. Have, whether I'm gonna for that cyberpunk demo. Uh, <laughs> see, that was. I tried. I was I was hanging around there to see. I, I know Tom from Evolve PR, but of course I I can't be that guy. Like it, it was the most popular thing, and I was like, hey, I want to ask him, but I don't. I don't, don't want to bother him because he's probably exhausted. Um, so none of these games we've played, but a lot of this is the stuff we saw, the stuff we heard, and um, for me, the one that I was talking earlier about the, the the demo reels, where you always have that one game where you're like, hold on, hold on, slow it down. I want to see more of that. Um, and sable it's it's called sable right is it like it's not sable or some french pronunciation is it <laughs> it's um, it's an italian noir film guys <laughs> that's actually a great idea uh sable was the one that immediately i saw it immediately i tweeted about it um and i was very fortunate and i didn't know this one of the creators on it follows me on twitter and immediately 
He was like, oh, yeah, thank you. And I DM'd him immediately. I was like, can we please do a podcast about this? So either next week or the weekend after, we're going to talk all about it. But just it is like this art style that I haven't really seen before. There's some games similar, but I can barely even describe what it looks like. It's just this gorgeous what would you even cell shaded but not really like it's it's, it's, it, it's vaguely cell shaded but also it has that weird uh not quite consistent frame rate thing that makes it look like a like a almost like a flip book yeah that's like a, maybe like that's an, the best a, way to a more, put a much it. more cohesive flip book you know it's not like it's not like that game what was that like weird multiplayer combat game that got crap reviews uh dr- drawn oh, to death, <laughs> drawn to death. yeah uh but it just the motion and the world like it looks like a fairly inventive world all on its own but just the way it's presented in that weird stop frame like 20 15 frames a second kind of thing really kind of sticks out it it all this is a this is a blasphemous statement but to call it an even more beautiful journey was like the immediate reaction I had of just there's a lot of aspects of that with the sliding and some of the environments mm-hmm. that remind me of journey but even more striking to me and it was just one of those things i think cuphead was one of the biggest examples of wait 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 i want to see more of that after they showed the demo reel and and sable was that for me this year i know it's not the biggest you know triple a thing but that stood out Uh, both of us on this list have a ghost of tsushima Mm -hmm. tsushima 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 Sushima? At the risk of cultural... I feel bad. I tried to look this up, and I kept seeing different pronunciations, and I'm sorry that we're not smarter people with how to say things, but... Um, I mean, to be fair, they did just release a game called... Uh, was it Sushido? <laughs> yeah, that's it. All these names, now it's just like stacking in my head and making it harder. Truly, what it about the year of the samurai. The <laughs> what about that game stood out for you from the other samurai games? I... Uh... The gorgeous visuals, I mean, like, don't get me wrong, that that long panning shot of the Vista, uh, I, I am a fan of all things Seven Samurai, uh, uh, Akira Toriyama, I think, right? And I also really dug the idea that, uh, that this sword combat uh, embraces some of the, you see the, the first, uh, I think it's the Mongol uh, horde that is invading is the setting, right? So you see the first mm-hmm. Mongol warrior uh do the standoff and then charge him and rather than like some super flashy god of war you know pummel just one flick and of the sword across the guy's torso and he's down and it's like oh oh yeah this is really embracing some of the uh, uh combat mysticism that we like we always used to see in samurai flicks the the standoff and the one clean cut and then you know putting the sword in the in the hilt and walking away like a badass i like that and it looks like that kind of combat will be really emphasized maybe and there's you know some element of uh assassin's creed style climbing around and everything like that but i i like to think that they might emphasize more on that honorable standoff kind of thing and then speaking of the honorable standoff the very end just the framing of the sun setting while that like red tree i think it had to have been like a a cherry blossom tree or something uh roiling in the winds and the fire starting to slowly spread what more could you want from like a cinematic samurai experience sucker punch is not afraid to completely change the style of game 
that they create when you go from sly cooper to infamous and now this game it's so wildly different and they still Mm kind of carve their really own unique space it feels like they've been doing this for a decade and like they've always been good at that where their new game is always oh they are really strong players now in this genre and they don't kind of a lot of people need to make a game or two to kind of get a handle on if they've never done anything like that and you don't get that sense from them at all and I, i there's this is the first e3 in a while where you start to get that oh this feels next gen type of sense mm. from games and this is one game and the next game that we're going to talk about that i think even more so is cyberpunk and that is the game where um every e3 there's one demo where people are like you need to see this thing and cyberpunk, or like I, I hope it leaks or something like that yeah and cyberpunk more than any was the holy shit like, I, I thought the trailer was fine the trailer was not, nothing like i walked away being like oh that was cool i'd love to see more but then the demo was very much you need to see this right now because holy shit and again that's another one that like watchdogs before it after you see that trailer or that gameplay i haven't seen it yet but everyone has that sense of we're really close to the next thing someone posted uh someone got details on whatever the cyberpunk uh demo pc requirements they or what what the build of the pc that was playing that demo was and it looked pretty beefy and they i can't remember i think they've confirmed that they're targeting this generation they are it's lofty uh but i i I like the idea that they're going first person because a big part of cyberpunk is feeling small, like a cog in the system and, and tackling your humanity in very small, but meaningful ways. Uh, I'm the first, the debut trailer had a slight tinge of ready player one, which I'm like, uh, I don't like, I don't want to pointlessly romanticize my sci-fi if it doesn't, if that's not the point. Uh, but I like the fact that, you know, this seems like a story that will be equally strong in narrative. You have the, you have original Witcher writers on it. Uh, you have an admission that like the, the tenants of cyberpunk that they want to explore seem like the right kind of things. It's real quick about the first person thing you mentioned before. Can we stop with the getting angry at developers for doing something different than what right. they've done in the past yeah. where i understand the witcher is beloved and it should be that game is incredible and it was third person and people know a cd project for third person games but it's okay that developers do different things and maybe it just fits for what they're doing now it's similar um when it comes to fallout 76 and the fact that there's i mean it's stupid people but it's like petitions online to force them to make that a regular single player fallout game it's okay that the creators you love are trying different things and they might not land. They might not work for you, but maybe they'll work for you for someone else way better than the other types of games do. Or maybe this is your new favorite shit and you just never thought of it before. Not every game has to be about you. Take it, take it, take it from people who have to play or had to have to play a lot of games to keep up with what is trending. Yeah. Or for a review or whatever. Uh, Not every game needs to be, you don't need to play every game. But it, it might end fine. up being for you. 
but, yeah, it, but like, it, it might end up being something that you actually enjoy. It, it's like the whole, it's okay to try new things. It's actually super healthy to experiment. Just because you fucking think you hate asparagus, maybe you should try asparagus, asparagus our, again. Uh, our old standby Overwatch, I had never really been a big competitive shooter guy. And look at me now. I'm literally wearing a t-shirt standing next to... 40 different toys of that yeah series. you're fucking all your freelance money goes I'm directly to overwatch well. swag is really what we've learned about this I, I was never a hero shooter guy like I couldn't really get into team fortress and overwatch yeah. is one of my favorite games of the last of ever uh, so there's it's okay that these games are different and sometimes the game calls for it um it's you know cyberpunk's probably not going to be as wide open as the witcher is in terms of just like you're in this giant forest that's great because like it it can be more vertical and you can really like explore corners and the witcher 3 as as dense and like astonishingly full of life as it was still had plenty of like moments where i was just i was riding through the forest like wondering where the hell am i there's nothing really actually out here and and that's fine that's that's the all fantasy, almost all fantasy, classical fantasy like that is widespread. Cyberpunk can can be and probably should be more enclosed like that. Allow the creators you love to try new things, to take what they've learned and apply it elsewhere and maybe add an entire new layer to what they do and a genre. And I think a similar example to that, um, Control, which is coming from Remedy, what I like about the look of that game is that remedy i've always been fascinated in what they make the look of what they make the tone of what they make but every game beforehand is kind of one aspect of it has dragged it down just enough where you're like man i wish it did this with alan wake it was always man i wish this played better like i I like the i like the tone i like the the voice acting i like the writing in this game but it's just not that fun to play and uh what was i can't even quantum break was the after that which like some of the combat stuff was cool, but it didn't really hit on the narrative in the way I wanted it to. There was like the cheesy television aspect of that. And Control seems like it it's not doing the cyberpunk thing of moving certain ideas into a new realm. It's more combining everything they've learned into what looks like the smart blend between the writing and the atmosphere with the actual faster moving combat that really looks sharp. It looks like this... Uh, someone had said this i think this might have been a giant bomb thing where uh the uh the the last game they did quantum break see i keep forgetting the name that's how much it left an impression on me quantum break was the wii u to control switch where it's like they were playing with these ideas and they had to release them earlier than they wanted to and now control's coming out and looks like that third person story-based action game that gets all of those elements right and again big remedy fan so that was one where i saw that and i was like i'm already in and i think i already know where they're heading i i haven't played a remedy game since i think the last max Payne. i didn't play uh quantum break but yeah I, i heard the exact same thing of like let's they they found their footing finally uh at least in in the impressions from control and maybe that will be the difference because Remedy has all has almost always been this weird developer that's all their almost all their games are like about interesting gunplay. How can we make gunplay and, and like hard boiled action more interesting? And Quantum Break, to its credit, had lots of cool ideas. They just didn't flesh them out as they should have. Yeah, it, I'm fully invested in Control. You have Dying Light Two down, and I had not seen too much of it. So sell me on Dying Light Two. 
Dying Light is what Dead Island should have been, and Dying Light 2 seems like just the the natural expansion of everything uh, the original was. The only concern I've heard from people, uh, from uh, fellow freelancer Julie Muncy, uh, the city of Haran in Dying Light 1 was a really cool, interesting place to explore. It was one part slum. Uh, and then you went to the second district, which it, I think was like called Old Town, and it was definitely more upscale, but still, you know, zombie apocalypse. That place had a lot of character, and the way it kind of depicted the natural flow of a slum, like as you're parkouring through everything, the way that you know uh, sh- uh, shacks and homes and like uh, giant cheap high-rise buildings uh, were built around the area. That felt cool, and interesting, and like not a place that you really had ever seen with much depth before in a game uh, or with much respect. Uh, the city in Dying Light 2 looks not quite as like full of character, but it, from everything I've read and seen and heard from other people is that the, the character kind of the character of the city grows with you. Uh, you, you make so many decisions like, do I side with this group of people siphoning off water from this other group uh, does that that then allows them to sell the the water so like sketch your people show up or uh, I go with the other people and the streets are more clear of crime but also there's public executions happening and I like the idea of, of you know the true the true monster is humans oh my gosh uh, but also they they seem to have updated the uh, the way the zombies work in this, in fact, that the uh, zombies are uh, really piddly, weak things in the sunlight, uh, which is the exact same as the last game. But now they've taken to uh, hiding in the dark interiors of buildings. So, like, if it's still daylight when you go into a building that's full of zombies, they might be doing that weird, uh, I forget what movie it was, but we've we've all seen a movie where like the heroes are trying to get through a docile crowd of zombies, and that's tense. I like that. Uh, and everything about the parkour seems to have uh, been expanded, like ripping your knife into a banner so you can slide down it like a <laughs> like Princess Bride or something. <laughs> And I, I think that game will – and Chris Avalone, friggin' Chris Avalone is uh, writing. I think they also got some uh, Witcher writers on it as well. Chris Avalone, if those of you don't know, I should pick this up. Uh, Obsidian Entertainment. I think he wrote uh, Fallout New Vegas. Let me hear Yeah, I think he was Icewind a big Dale, part of that. Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic uh, 2 at least. Uh, did you say this game was co-op? Sorry if I missed that. It probably is the last one became co-op eventually see that is like a reason why i i'm like you not a huge dead island guy i didn't mm. care too much for the first dead island it's like oh, this is fine if this is like a, a, a evolution of that with let's say four player co-op where you're just running around killing zombies doing rad shit and stuff like that i could see that being a get home from work and group, group up with a bunch of friends and play this thing yeah type of game um just watching you parkour off into the sunset as you. Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, so I'm totally into that idea. Uh, last quick one from me. I won't go too much into it. A tunic, which was that Fox Project version. Fox, yeah. Yeah, of uh, like a Zelda game. I'm a sucker for those and the look of that. Again, a lot of my the themes of it's this is how cute. cool does this look? I'm super into the look of that. Uh, it gave me almost, this is a weird pull, but a 3D dot game heroes vibe. 
of this other old school like isometric type Zelda, but a, a different look. And um, I it was another one of those games at the Microsoft presser where I was like, this is really cool. I'm happy they're yeah. showing stuff like this. Not too much to say about it other than that. It just stood out for me mainly because of the look. I bet you that developer did not in- expect to be a key trailer on the Microsoft stage. I bet not either. But also, great name. I love the name Tunic. It's hard to find video game names. And there's something yeah. about oh, Tunic. I, I, I was like, I've I been helping it. you with that. <laughs> yeah, it's like it is a thing that is difficult. And Tunic is good. Your next game. Uh, last one is The Last of Us 2. I am very curious to see just how they balance the humanity of Ellie's uh, seemingly newfound relationship with this uh, other female character that they've got in there. Uh, but the the violence on display, both in the previous uh, trailer where they like you know clip her wings and bash that poor girl's arms, mixed with the uh, violence on display that we see from largely from Ellie, although the you know the look they look like cultists, I guess they kind of keep say, saying like, culty things, uh, but they they renovated the gameplay to like kind of really emphasize much like the original game, Ellie is a smaller, more fragile thing than Joel was. She is not slugging dudes, uh, so she has to play a little more squirrely. Um, so they have new mechanics where like if you see like two magazine racks uh, close to each other but not quite pushed all the way together, you can slide through there like in the middle of a combat scenario really quick. And, you know, the the AI has been uh, updated. I, I read that the a lot of the behaviors you saw in that trailer and Naughty Dog has like a weird habit of this where like their original trailers or debut trailers for games will have AI elements that just don't quite translate to the final game because obviously no scenario can be like perfectly recreated uh the whole like you know the the characters uh, grouping up and having a short conversation she went over there she went over there okay uh, fan out blah 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 Evidently, they have worked a lot on that um, to where, like, if an enemy is pursuing you into a building with uh, other enemies in tow, if they lose you before, you know, you get uh, before you get into the building, they will stack up on that door, have that bit of emergent dialogue. And then uh, there's AI to account for how they fan out, you know, covering covering angles and their heads move independently the same way you would, you know, uh, cover your blind sides if you were trying to slowly march through an area. And I like that. I like the idea of these enemies being treated more as people rather than the uh, meat sponges that the original game kind of treated them as the same Nathan Drake problem, you know, afflicted the last of us by the end. You were just killing dudes left and right. It's like, Oh my God. Meat sponge is a top 10 grossest thing I've ever heard. Like that made immediately. I'm like, Oh, I know exactly what you mean. And (laughs) ew, don't let's not make meat sponge a thing. I just watched the, um, the gameplay demo because i didn't get to watch the full thing during e3 uh mm-hmm. a couple hours ago and there was this cinematic nature even to the regular stealth and just combat in general that i am interested to see what that plays like if you have not developed that game like what is, how easy is it to pick up on sliding through this this bookshelf or underneath this truck and 
hitting people in the exact way you want to if you don't understand all the beats in the AI behavior. That's one of those things where it's like, this looks incredible when it's played exactly as it should be. What is that game like when you are suddenly bumping up against the wrong thing or you miss a, a punch or something like that? Mm-hmm. It's uh, I do hope it does look like the AI is smarter and they're actual humans. So it's speaking of like incredible looking games, that game just looks so good. Video games look very good this year. Maybe that's the actual theme is that game, yeah. video games look goddamn good. Um, so last couple of things I want to hit on before we're done. Uh, you did cover IG, uh, game E3 with IGN this mm-hmm. year. So you were at home and not on the show floor. What are some of the highlights of that for you? Maybe some of the coolest stories you wrote, just the experience overall of working for a major publication covering the biggest show of the year. I gotta say, like, it, by the the small chance that you know those editors hear this, like, I, I gotta say thanks to those editors for bringing me on quite literally at the last moment i i have been having a a weird time work wise and i finally sent out an email to these uh to like the nine editors i've worked with saying hey uh i'm going full-time freelancing also some like weird stuff has happened pre-e3 where i might not get as much work as i thought i was getting if you have work please consider me your monkey uh andrew goldfarb light of my life uh got back to me like super quick and said like hey are you around in like 10 minutes yes okay get on skype right now jonathan uh Dornbrush is uh you're on par our, our last onboarding session prior to e3 and i'm like oh my god thank you so that was nice <laughs> that was very appreciated i uh will you have my sword my bow and my axe uh but Covering covering E three, I during the press conferences, I helped on back end stuff like uh, collecting assets for the social media teams and the production teams, and that was fun. Uh, the act of news writing itself, what kind of came down to, especially remotely, came down to paying attention to the typical channels of like you know uh, the games subreddit. Uh, Wario sixty four is always on the ball in terms of. Uh, Oh, hey, the the Assassin's Creed 16 special editions were announced, and I wrote up several kinds of those stories. Uh, And it it is surprising how much being on the ball it demands of you, you know, of being available, uh, you know, in your Slack channels, in your Trellos, whatever, uh but also just kind of paying attention like what are people like what is what is on twitter right now what are people talking about like oh hey joseph gordon levitt just posted a blog uh responding to the ubisoft uh concerns um i pitched that got picked up and and there you go i wrote several stories about joseph gordon levitt throughout the week which was a weird thing to consider and it comes down to the same hustle you need in any freelance capacity, but just in a more concentrated space, right? Part of me thinks that if I would ever do games media again, it's almost more useful just to do it from home. If you actually, if you're if you're a freelancer, just to make money, it makes more sense to just be like, I'm gonna cover all these conferences from you know the, the comfort of my own couch. But then there's also, uh, I really enjoy interviewing developers and it's really cool to be able to be on the show floor to play someone's game and then to go behind and be like hey let's let's talk about this why this and why that uh i talked to danny pena from gamertag radio and he had like 56 podcasts up with his team with just a whole bunch of developers and stuff like that and that's incredible and if i was ever to do anything like that you know any if i was going to go to the show just for podcasting or for games media, I think I would want that of just how many people can I talk to in this stretch and kind of pick their brain and hopefully hopefully ask questions that 
you know, other people haven't already asked. Um, and, and just, I won't spend too much time on this. Like being on the show floor again for the first time since 2013 was really cool. Um, the Intel uh, Wedbush Michael Pactor party was awesome. It's as cool as you'd think it would be. Like, he's such a... People have a lot of stuff to say about Michael Pactor. How many people um, did you hug? A, a lot of people. That's probably why I got so sick. Uh, just too many handshakes and hugging. But, you know, I got to finally talk to Adam Sessler at that party. I had a long conversation with, you know, Greg Kasavin. I, I hugged John Vignacchi like four times. Um, I uh, talked to Greg Miller for a long time. And Michael Pactor, it's just cool because... You think once you get to a certain level in the industry, maybe you assume these people will not remember the smaller people, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. And he it just immediately saw me, you know, because I introduced myself at the party we've met before. But, you know, and uh, he immediately like saw me, saw my name on the main tag and started talking about my podcast. I mentioned this on Twitter. But he started talking about my podcast, to everyone around him. And that was like this genuine cool moment. Like he he remembers he's some he, he's a genuine guy. And uh, going to that party again was just a lot of fun seeing all the people there um running into so many people um someone not to embarrass him at all i want to give a shout out to was uh josh silverman who has his own podcast it uh it should be it's, it's the concal pod and he um had explicitly on twitter said that he wanted to meet me at the show and i sat down with him for about 20 or 30 minutes just talking about podcasting talking about you know getting into games media and you know how hard it is to start and once the ball starts rolling it really starts rolling it was mm. it was cool to see a lot of people who have listened to the podcast and um alex wilton regan is another one who really stands out who did the voice of aya from assassin's creed talking to her for like 20 or 30 minutes on the show floor <clears throat> was it was really cool it's really nice to meet these like genuine people who you've talked to on podcast or you've talked to on twitter and you never really know how that's going to translate once you actually sit down and go face to face with those people and there's a lot of just cool moments that um i'm gonna remember for a long time and also khalif from spawn on me we had a long conversation um i love khalif he's an incredible person it was the day before he was we were talking about how he was going to be on giant bob and how excited he was and it was awesome to see him on there and yeah just a lot of people who you never know if you're going to hit it off in person and it was cool to see a lot of people who just like it, it really worked out. So E3 was super successful this year um, in terms of what we expect moving forward. I think we talked about this a little bit, but I think we're going to see some weirder or smaller press conferences. We're going to see people taking chances with like, all right, how can we maybe cut costs and try a different way of showing this stuff? And maybe they don't show as much and they show their own stuff in different shows like those Nintendo Directs, like the PlayStation Experience, so that E3 is not this hub for absolutely everything. Um, it's, it's interesting because like prior E3s or uh, future E3s will be defined by how much a lot of these major companies, yeah, want to show, or like y- y- they might not necessarily want to emphasize a game that won't be coming for a long time because they know that that bandwidth will be taken at the cost of a different game's uh, you know marketing strategy and it's so unlike an event like PAX where that entertainment schedule and that that entertainment list of things that you can do at an event like that is generally controlled by like one party one group of people saying like let's get let's try to get these things these things these things these things these people uh but you you have three or four companies competing for attention and their marketing strategies so you can't always rely on them to make a fan-centric experience 
No, absolutely. It's it, they need to figure out how to. We've talked about this, but integrate the public better. Like, it's just bad. I, I the still fan just experience feel so is hard. bad for people who show up and like are on their phone all day. They're like, oh yeah, I, I played some Fortnite. Be like, what? What? I saw people you running. Know? running along the floor when the doors opened and like it was just like they opened up the the gates to this amusement park but then just mm. like dude you, it's not gonna be what you think it is it's it, e3 doesn't even know what the, the hell it is right now mm. um but it's not this crazy you know user or fan experience um it's i hope they figure that out just e3 2019 for me is going to be microsoft's either fully announcing or partially announcing what's coming next nintendo coming out swinging because this year was just 40 minutes of super smash brothers and i think they blew their their wad uh last year with all those big announcements but that didn't have anything to actually show for it mm-hmm. so i think we'll Bethesda fell, fell into the same trap too of like yes we're developing a new game starfield yes we're also developing uh, elder scrolls 6 please stop asking yeah that which is a very un-bethesda thing to do it's gonna make their next press conference weird because it's going to mm-hmm. be like, all right, we really don't have much about this thing that we already announced. It's that Sony from not too long ago where they announced Shenmue and they announced um, the Final Fantasy VII remake and everything where it's like, none of this shit's close. We just wanted to have a crazy press conference. So, yeah. like, I don't expect that over and over and over again. But um, I hope I'm in person at the next one. Hopefully you are too this time, maybe. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I know. I, I don't forgive you. Um, any final thoughts from the uh, the now over E3 2018? It was a good E3. Um, uh, well, let me rephrase that. It was a good time. I don't know if it was a good E3. I The games I'm excited for, I'm excited for the next 12 months of games. Some might say it's a, the best time to be a gamer. Wow. Uh, to to borrow to completely plagiarize Giant Bomb, and <laughs> I am very happy at like the I forget who pointed this out. It might be someone I follow, but someone said like, "Hey," or it, it was Stephanie Tinsley, bless her heart, over at Tinsley PR, uh, who does a lot of uh, Devolver stuff, and she was like, "Hey, look, it's been three or four years since uh, the Gamergate debacle." Uh, well, since it exploded, it's obviously still a presence, but now we have so many games with a lot of like LGBT representation and like tackling different kinds of stories and gaming is only becoming more and more inclusive. It still has a lot of problems to address like crunch and, and still uh, inclusion problems, but we're getting there. We are seeing good examples of how to do good things to draw different kinds of people into gaming to make it a much more inclusive medium. And it is so heartening to see bad people angry about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think uh, you're right that we still have a long way to go, but I think if you don't every once in a while, take a second to appreciate the strides we've made, then you're always going to be just bummed out about what we're not. And that doesn't mean you should suddenly not stop demanding more. You should always demand more, but also have the moments where you're like, all right, this is cool. We have progressed in this way. That's awesome. Let's keep going. Tell a developer a game they made uh, you liked. Tell them them thank you. That's 
that's my plan with this podcast moving forward because i've now going to reach out to every indie developer who made a rad thing and be like we need to fucking talk about this so yeah expect a lot more of those podcasts soon um joe where can people find you on twitter and all the work you've done recently and the work you're going to be publishing soon uh find me on twitter at joseph noop that's j-o-s-e-p-h-k-n-o-o-p uh, I am talking a lot about stuff. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just, I'm taking a break. Uh, I don't blame I'm, you. I'm working very regularly for Daily Dots, um, a mix of games content and, you know, just like internet culture reporting. And uh, I should hopefully be continuing stuff with IGN and uh, everybody in the world, please cross your fingers for me in the near future. Yay. Uh, as always, I'm at Josiah Renaud and go if you if you don't hate the show. If you like the show, that's great. You can go to iTunes and, and, and rate and review. Leave a wonderful comment about the 1099 podcast. I'm still building out the schedule moving forward. Um, there will be there will be media. There will be developers. There will be YouTubers. There will be a lot of this stuff. Um, there's a lot. This is the point where everyone's so tired that it's hard to ask people to talk on a microphone. Uh, thank you, Joe, uh, because E3 just happened. So um, be building out that schedule once I know more. So thank you, Joe, for spending all this time recapping mm-hmm. this insanity that's been going on for the last week. I'm so tired. We did it. Um, Only 359 days until E3 2019. Fucking let's start next week. Whatever. I'll be ready. But just give me some coffee and I'll be able to make it. Uh, thanks, everyone, for all the support and for listening. Hopefully tune back in for the next episode of the 1099.